How's it going, Keyholers? It is Matt Burton here. We got a long Megapod for you guys today. We got Ryan Chapman from All Sooners and the Franchise Morning Show talking to myself and Brady. And then we have a TCU preview with Alan Kinney and Joel Anderson after we're done. So stick around for Alan and Joel after myself, Brady, and Ryan are through. But now it's time for Through the Keyhole. Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. What's up? We're back. Oh, snap. It's Thanksgiving week. You know what that means. Ain't nobody doing a fucking thing at work. None of you. None of you. You are listening to this podcast and you're like, yeah, I'm at my desk and I'm at work. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're consuming the OU content because you know what? That's probably what I'm doing too. Just don't tell anybody. Actually, technically, I was pretty damn sick today, so I didn't go to work at all. Um, I believe what I have is just a really, really bad cold. Um, I did not sleep at all last night, but we are here. Brady Trantham with Matt Burton here on the free pod for Through the Keyhole. Shout out to Vanessa House for always taking good care of us. Thank you so much, Vanessa. We love you. Uh, Peyton Guthrie is doing Thanksgiving stuff with his familia Alan Kenny is he's he's firing off takes about Texas A&M right now and posing very, very pointed questions, uh, much needed considering what's been uh, talked about over the last week and a half or so. Um, and he just he just does not have the energy to uh, podcast with us on. So, uh, you know, we're, we're giving him the day off, but he's doing the Lord's work. You know, he he's, is he's, yeah, he's trying to keep the cult in check. Well, which which Lord are we talking about? Because A&M just pick one. Yeah, just yeah pick one. heavily. Yeah. Reveille. Oh, oh yeah. that that voice. Who is that broken glass? It is Ryan Chapman. Oh, snap. You've heard him on the franchise morning show with Eddie Radosevich in the All Sooners podcast with John Hoover. Who's the other kid? What's the other kid's name? Randall Sweet. Randall. Yeah. Randall Sweet. Oh, is he sweet? Good dude. Very good dude. Very good. Is he sick as well? Uh no. It was just it was just me. And Bob, allegedly, Prince Billow, and allegedly, Jesse Crittenden, and absolutely Mason Young. So I think that you just hung out with the OU beat, basically, if you are feeling the sickness. So who's in the who's in the protocol for the OU beat right now? Um, I think everyone's out of it, but 
a lot of us were in the protocol during BYU. Like there was a shot that Mason didn't travel. Bob didn't travel. I almost didn't travel. It was almost carnage. I mean, I think some of those names might just be like blacklisted in the state of Utah. We know how Utah wants to keep you know Salt Lake City clean. They want to keep their state clean. Uh, you can interpret that however you want when we talk about clean cities with Utahans. Utahites. Did you figure that out, Ryan? Uh, no, but it was very clean. There was a lot of power washing of things going on. And then I the- realized when you have like the mountains were great. They weren't like I like the Rocky Mountains a little better. They're like taller, so they stay more snow capped. But like we did go on some hiking trails and stuff, went up to Sundance, which was like something I really, really wanted to do. Uh, as well as Park City. And I was like, oh, when you have scenery as beautiful as this and you don't have all of the just garbage from Texas and Kansas blowing through left, right, and center, it makes a lot of sense why you want to conserve and keep stuff nice and clean. So it all checked out. And as far as like the the power washing, the most important part of that is the first part when you soak it. You got to do a lot of soaking when you're up there. And then you you got to power wash it. And that's something we didn't point out, Matt, on the no cap recap, which you can listen to um, every Sunday following OU games on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. And also, everybody, if you haven't done this already, please leave us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But we didn't mention that on the no cap recap either. At least I didn't because Tuesday we've grown. We've grown. Exactly. Tuesday, I mentioned to Peyton about, hey, uh, their grass kind of sucks and it's, it's been a talking point over the years that I I can just kind of remember randomly. So I was like, look for that. It became much more of a talking point than even I anticipated having said that now shame on me on Sunday on the no cap recap for not mentioning how soaked the uh, BYU field was. Everyone, I mean, I mean, everyone Ryan, was soaked too. Yeah. Ryan, you were there. Were you soaking? Were you just soaked? Uh, it, I, I was moist, not soaked, mainly ah. because it, it sprinkled a little bit in the pregame, a little bit of misting, uh, stuff like that. Thankfully, though, uh, or maybe unthankfully, I didn't have any um, – the The process was pretty smooth, so no no shaking or anything like that that yeah. moved us into any different levels of anything. It, it was oh, yeah. uh, pretty straightforward and, and all went to plan. Yeah. So this Ryan, is if much- I know anything about Ryan, and Ryan is a mover and a shaker. You know, he's not a soaker or anything like that. He's a mover and a shaker. Yeah, he'll he'll get the job done and efficiently and quickly. I might add. You know, this so this was thirty seconds than- or less. Usually. Real team player. Real team player. <laughs> it's how long it takes for me to update the live blog when I have a new entry? That's usually. It's, it's a twenty twenty two Jeff Levy offense is what we're talking about here. Really quick. No, I mean, so this was like much better than this time last year, where you're getting just absolutely squirted on in West Virginia, right? Yeah, yeah. It it, it was uh that was a really bad experience. I uh came out of that one just totally spent um and like West Virginia shot everything it had at me and it's uh in my first and only trip to the mountain country. Oh man. Well we're glad that you're here and alive because I remember you you actually helped me record a homework assignment via Zoom. I think a few days later after that game, and I remember you were sitting in your apartment. It was really dark. You were covered up. Yeah, it was it, not good. Well, that was so Eddie uh, Eddie Ross still in Buckingham and I. We were the three OU contingent uh, as well as Parker Thune, but we were the ones like on the field shooting. So obviously, we worked together the franchise. And so, so this is Parker Thune, well before Missouri fans owned him, right? 
Yeah, it was uh it was it was 2022. Um and so Eddie Dylan and I were hanging out, obviously, and then Eddie was the first one to go down with the flu. And then I got it later in the week after the press conference on Tuesday. Eddie made it back to health by Bedlam. I covered Bedlam from home. And then this year, I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm pretty sure that Bob was playing hurt at Bedlam. And then I was sitting right next to Bob in the press box. And then I almost missed the West Virginia game this year because I was super sick on Saturday. And then I definitely missed radio on Monday and Tuesday. So this is back to back year. I think Scoop has declared war on me personally via uh super spreading. Well can we please separate our beat writers, please? Maybe maybe everybody gets their own sweet box instead of just throwing you all in one room and just saying, don't make out, don't breathe on each other, don't spit on each other, none of that. Because we need our coverage. But boy, times have changed. You know, talking about West Virginia of last year. Around this time last year, OU was what, six and five following that stupid loss going into Lubbock for their last game of the year. And now OU is nine and two heading into Norman for a Friday night, Black Friday game against TCU. But I mean, Ryan, real quick, and I I know, I mean, I listen to the All Sooners podcast all the time. Whenever you guys put it out, you guys do a great job, of course. Um, But just for keyhole listeners who may not listen to the All Sooners podcast, you should, by the way, um, for keyhole listeners, I mean, any final thoughts, anything else that kind of jumped out at you from the BYU game now that we're a few more days removed from it that hasn't been discussed at nauseum? I mean, we talked about Jackson Arnold audibly. We talked about Dylan Gabriel having a cushion. We'll talk about that, of course, later on this show. But, I mean, is there anything else that looking at numbers, individual performances that really kind of stuck out to you a few days later? Uh, reported concussion uh, for Gabriel. Um, reported. I, I think that my... And this is with the context of, uh, you know, the Brent Middles press conference on Monday, especially when he's talking about the linebackers and stuff like that. I think he's right, because when you remember um, Stutzman and Jaron Kanek took so many of those snaps up until about UCF is really when Kip Lewis started to get a much bigger role. And so it makes a lot of sense why Stutzman plus Lewis or Stutzman plus Kobe McKenzie, uh, why those guys when you've got this tempo, a little bit different kind of tempo, we talked with Danny on Monday in the morning show, and he talked about how this tempo is different than even like the tempo that OU does. Cause they've seen a lot of looks this year where teams huddle and then sprint to the line, which is a different can of worms than when they're all spread out and showing you their formation anyway. And, and so th- it's just an adjustment that they're still getting used to uh, that, that made a lot of sense as far as gap integrity, all that stuff, making those fixes. And, Talk with all those guys, they're really confident. I, the thing I would add to that, though, um, just as an addendum, is Brent Venables is right in in the way that it's not like, oh, my gosh, the defensive line is getting whooped. You know, you just have linebackers not fitting the run correctly, stuff like that. But also in like two or three years, if Brent Venables gets this defensive line class signed, brings them aboard, gets them developing, stacks another good defensive line class – I think the goal would be to have like this year's defensive line is fine, but you don't have these absolute stars that routinely once every two drives, even if a run fit behind them is not perfect, they blow up a play so much that it literally doesn't matter. You know, like they, they literally change the math. And so I I think kind of watching the game back a little bit today, that was my biggest takeaway. It's like, 
Brett Venables is absolutely right. Obviously, he's forgot more about football than I'll ever know. And and it's just the process of bringing young linebackers along. And I think there's still a lot of excitement of what Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie will be in the SEC, and especially if Danny Stetswick comes back. I would just add that, like, I would not be so kind to totally let the defensive line off the hook just because they were doing what they were supposed to do because there wasn't a lot of changing the math in the run game. Now you saw Rondell Bothroy doing a really great job of what Brett Middles labels as like giving the defense or the offense color when he dropped on that strip sack from Stutzman that made Red Slav hold on to the ball for a half. It's so like, it's not like they're total nobodies or no shows. Ethan Downs has been great this year. I just, I would not let, especially the interior totally off the hook for not just blowing up at least one or two of those plays to the point where it doesn't really matter what all is happening behind them. And, and other than that, I think everything offensively has been pretty well covered. Well, I mean, I couldn't really tell from the 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 broadcast angle or the angle that they showed um, on the first run for BYU. I mean, was that Kip Lewis just missing the tackle? Yeah, I I think that was a missed tackle. And then there were Kobe's a really smart guy, not to pick on him, but like he's played more than ten snaps pretty much twice. Um, once he gets Kansas, and then. Not OSU. Kansas. OSU. Yeah, sorry. OSU. And then this one. So I think there was just some stuff that he missed. There were a couple times that the safeties missed their unfit. But yeah, the, the tackling wasn't great again. Um, I think that too, though, had a lot to do with, as you mentioned, the turf was really bad. It was really, really, it was so bad that like, you know, it's a, a bad situation when the home team is slipping as well. It's not like, a, oh my gosh, one team didn't have the correct equipment. Talking to some BYU people that like they are replacing that surface this offseason. It's been a problem for the last two years, especially that they've like not been happy with, but just logistically, I don't know what the exact reasoning was, but this is the offseason they could replace it. And so I, I do think that had a little bit to do with it. Um, like BYU had to deal with that as well, but it's just like it's not an excuse. It just is what it is. Like no one could keep their footing, and that didn't help either. I mean, they yeah, have, I mean, they had their own player like trip and fall when he was in motion. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, he, that, he happened, in motion. that happened. That happened at least twice. I think it happened three times for BYU. I mean, I mean, yeah, like, OU players had some, you know, made some mistakes and some of them can be attributed to like slipping and sliding all over that field. But I mean, like you said, BYU dealt with it too. I mean, the problem is just when you're talking about OU, especially like the defense as well as it's played all year, it's like, just get the results. Like there are going to be disadvantages no matter like, I mean, to some people, it's really loud in Stillwater, so the snap might be a little funky. Um, to other people, the, the field might suck, so their cleats are going to make them slip and slide all over the place. You know, at the end of the day, just get over it. You're an OU football player. Make the plays. And, oh, you made enough. They made enough plays, and they were rewarded for being aggressive on offense when the defense made situational plays. You know, after just a bunch of bullshit, just bad play overall, um, no matter what, no matter if you're talking D line, linebackers or secondary, just bad play overall. But they made situational plays when it mattered. The same stuff they did against Kansas. It wasn't as flashy against Oklahoma State, but that was more of a consistent. I mean, they stopped them for six drives with a four point lead. That should have been enough. And I've now mentioned that 25 times in the last three weeks. Um, but I mean, this performance from the defense was just much more similar to that Kansas performance, where just bad overall, but situationally. Uh, made plays and then the offense like I like I mentioned was just aggressive this time and it ended up being an OU victory so you know like Matt and I talked about this a little bit um, Ryan but I mean Matt I actually cannot remember the answer you gave me so please remind me uh, but I mean what can you say about 
a defense, especially a defense that's developing on a year to year basis, like how we're talking about Brent Venables defense from last from two years ago with Lincoln Riley and the previous regime to year one with Brent, year two with Brent. What can you say about a defense that they can have bad games, but yet in those bad games, you look at four or five plays defensively that are like, that is absolutely needed. That is absolutely what elite defenses do to set up the offense to go score and either take the lead or, you know, spread the lead out. So to me, like I, it was weird. I thought it was a, not an awful game. I don't, I don't think that that defensive performance was as awful as it looks as it felt during the game, because I just couldn't help but think like they're making plays when they absolutely need to. And before, Oh, you couldn't do that. Now they're doing it with regularity. So, I mean, again, like it's just weird to have that opinion when you look at some no name running back, having almost 200 yards rushing. Right. Yeah. Optically, you know, him having 182 rushing yards, despite having what two twenty nine in the 10 games prior to that. <laughs> so almost equaling his, his season total. It's that's not a good look. Uh, at all, especially for uh, the worst run offense in the Big Twelve, I, I think um, I, I'm I'm with you, right? You know those, but those plays that happen, you know, you talk about up in Lawrence, you know, still in, end up with a loss. You know, you talk about uh, up in Bedlam now, Ollie Gordon, what the hell were you doing? But you still you still intercept it, uh, but you can't capitalize on points on, on turnovers, and then you get three turnovers in this one, like those just simply weren't happening, you know, last year or hell at any time during Lincoln Riley's tenure. You know, the the there's the turnovers that was always the except, thing. Like, it's, except it's except always in the been... Rose Bowl. Except in the Rose Bowl. They <laughs> yeah. forced a fumble, returned it for a touchdown. That's that right. should have that should have been it. That's right. Defensive school. Um no but I, uh, everyone, everyone knows OU is their as their defense. Their defense almost won them that Rose Bowl. Everyone remembers that. <laughs> um uh, for me I, I think it just shows like how this growth has been for this defense, man. It's far from a finished product. It's far from, you know, where Brent and Todd Bates and those guys had it at Clemson for sure. Uh, but it's definitely trending in the right direction, man. Cause you know, it's like, I mean, Billy Bowman has two pick sixes on the year. I, when, when the hell was the last time they had a pick six, you know, before Brent got there, like, I, I'm sure there was probably one that I'm just not like remembering, but I mean, these are some of these plays that just, haven't happened it looks better you know the tackling up until you know the last couple games has been a lot better especially tackling uh in space as well I mean I look at guys like if you try to do that was kind of our thing uh with me and Tyler like going through let's say before the bye week all those games before the bye week if they tried to do one of the Jeff Lebby jet sweeps or uh swing passes or anything like that OU was snuffing that out man Gentry Williams was getting off of blocks from the wide receiver and making a tackle. You know, Desan McCullough making a tackle, just a smart football player. And I, I think just the defense as a whole, obviously, it's still got a long ways to go. It's far from perfect. And But Brent Venables said he expects this defense to be a, in a different planet. And I, just eye test-wise, without, like, looking at the numbers from this year compared to last year, I think it is in a different planet. But it just still shows shows how far they have to go to. Yeah, which planet? Uh, Uranus. Um, yes. <laughs> I think that uh, that's the planet that Danny Stutzman thinks it's on. Uh, un- unconfirmed, <laughs> but I just talking to him every week. I think that that would be the planet he would say they play on. I, it's really important. I I know that, and it's Oklahoma, and this should happen. The goalpost moved after beating Texas, right? 
like in a vacuum, if we had come on this show um, and given no context, just said, hey, going into the Black Friday regular season finale, Oklahoma with a win, we'll go 10 and two. They will be not in control of their own destiny, but have a pathway to Arlington via tiebreakers. And they'll be looming in the New Year's Six if there's a couple of upsets on rivalry weekend. Every Oklahoma fan, well, so I'm not going to say every, the mostly sane portion of the Oklahoma fan base would have said, yes, sight unseen, I'll take it. And so part of the any consternation, frustration comes from the goalpost movement and how those losses happen. But like, how many times over the past five, six years, or the, the five, six years before Brett Venable's uh, return, was it a situation where like the defense plays well early in the season and you were just waiting for like one bad play is going to snowball into an entire awful football game. And then it just starts this stretch of like five weeks where they can't stop a nosebleed and all that stuff. And it's not been perfect. The pass defense has a long way to go. That's something why I think this game's going to be pretty close this weekend. I think it's going to be pretty high scoring. TCU can chuck it. But this is an Oklahoma defense that, like, if we if if you had said before the season that they're going to be playing with on the starting depth chart their second or third string linebacker alongside Danny Stutzman, that one of their cheetahs is going to go down for the season, and they're going to have a guy that moved over in the middle of the year splitting snaps with McCullough, that you do not have a corner opposite of Woody Washington that can consistently play because of injury, that you are now starting your third different safety alongside Billy Bowman. Like they have been banged up in the defense and they have this spirit and and it is the reflection of Brent Venables. This like, Hey, everything's not going to be perfect, but you're going to do your best to step up in a huge moment and force a turnover, whether it be on the goal line, whether it's perfect, right, right before hat, you know what I mean? Like it's, you're starting to see that they have that Brent Venables fighting spirit. And as long as Venables is able to continue recruiting at the level he recruits at, like I kind of alluded to earlier, they're going to be more talented across the board. Plus, you're going to have guys that half this defense is in their first year, the Brent Venables uh, defense still because of the portal. You know what I mean? So, um, or their first year really playing real snaps if they're redshirt freshmen and, and sophomores. So I, I think that's kind of where I'm at with this defense. Of like, obviously, it's not the elite units that never left the top like 25 in total defense that Venables had at Clemson out after like his third year, they were in the top 25. They never left it again, but you see all the pieces. And I, I don't know how you can't look at what the defense is doing right now and be like, this thing is moving absolutely in the right direction. I see the vision. I see the path. It's if, if it continues like this, it's going to be an elite group in the next two to three years. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-321. 3100. That's 405 321 3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Maine and Barrie, just two miles east of I 35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard to find bourbon in store. 
I mean, that's what we want to hear. And again, I think that that perfectly articulates what I've been trying to say over the last few weeks of like, man, it's really hard to be mad at a defense that hands you a victory on a silver platter. And I mean, the, the scapegoat for those two losses was not necessarily any individual player or unit on the team. It was just the play caller. And so you, you get kind of presented a similar situation, not exactly the same, but a similar situation um, down in Provo last Saturday. And then the offense moving over to the offensive side, the offense is just a little bit more aggressive. Once you know, again, I didn't expect aggression coming out of halftime with a true freshman quarterback who had just previously been redshirted until, you know, Dylan Gabriel goes down. So I, I didn't and, expect And the first possession started on the nine yard line and the second possession started on your own 20. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not like they got the ball at the 50 as well. Like, I, I think that is super important. Con- like it would have been concerted play calling if Gabriel was in there. Yeah. Like I remember thinking during the game when they were marching down to the one yard line, like, well, at least we're going to be able to get the ball, you know, with some better field position because we were in a rut with, for those two or first drives. And as I'm saying that out loud and looking at Lee Benson sitting next to me, as I'm saying it, he just, I just see him go, Oh God. And I looked at the screen and Billy Bowen's like at the 20 yard line with the ball in his hands. Like, Oh, okay. That never mind. Never mind everything I said, but you know, offensively. Um, well, before we get to the offense as a whole, I mean, let's talk about Dylan. Um, I don't know what Brent Venables is talking about when he says they should be ready by the weekend. They being Dylan Gabriel and Jalil Farouk, who I guess was hurt a little bit more than I assumed on that final play. Um, the, the first down that iced the game, he did get hit pretty hard. Um, I, at first I thought he just had the wind knocked out of him and it, or it was just, uh, this, that hit kind of hurt, but the game's over. So I'm just going to like really, really chill right now. This was a, t- this was a hard hitting game. Um, but Brent Venables at his press conference on Monday mentioned both those players would be ready by the weekend, which in my brain, Ryan was like, wait, Friday isn't the weekend. <laughs> We're playing on Friday. Is he trying to pull a fast one here? Well, how did you interpret that? Because the report, of course, it's a report. It's never been confirmed. Dylan Gabriel with a concussion. Concussions are weird. They're like high ankle sprains. Everybody re- reacts to a concussion differently. Um, I believe Blake Griffin, his sophomore year, got a concussion on a Wednesday, and then he played on a Saturday. Now, this was, you know, 2009, so maybe CTE and concussion protocols were less stringent back then. But I remember that happening. So all that to say, well, some players can have a very minor concussion and then test out of it very quickly. And other players, for the most part, it seems to take at least a week to be on the safe side. So when you heard Brent Mendel say that the Monday presser, I mean, what was kind of going through your head? Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is the thing I latched on to is not the phrasing of by Friday or weekend. He just said the word available. So that doesn't mean that Dylan Gabriel is going to play a snap. You know what I mean? Um, I, I go. I just continue to go back to a year ago against TCU. Gabriel took an absolute shot. It was a more direct, obvious, um, like physical, like it makes me uncomfortable. I get really queasy with that stuff because of all the – what we we don't know a ton about concussions, but we do know it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, especially with these guys that you talk to every week. You're just like, just hope he's okay. But like it took a full week, right, for Dylan Gabriel to not test out of that protocol against Texas. I get every concussion's different, every player's different, all that stuff. I just my expectation is that he's just not gonna be able to make it out of the protocol because it's a short week. Um now other stuff, I don't think Gabriel would have played anyway. 
um, because because he didn't test out of the protocol a year ago. But do you also remember what was happening at the exact week that Dylan Gabriel took that shot? I wonder what was happening. I the Miami Dolphins fan. I do not know. Remind yeah, me, Ryan. It, it was all of the Tua discourse, right? Of the Thursday night football and all that stuff. OU has a really independent uh, medical staff anyway. They're very, very about player safety and taking care of their players and stuff like that. I truly believe, like every coach says, the concussion protocol is not in my hands. They just tell me if they're available or not. Oklahoma's one of those spots that, like, yeah, that's the truth. There was no shot that they were letting Dylan Gabriel play with everything going on with the Tua discourse because you just take – like, we saw Tom Herman get absolutely shredded – years ago when Sam Ellinger looked like he was taking a nap on the sideline, they put him back in the football game. You know what I mean? Like it, that was not going to happen. Um, so yeah, I, the protocol is the protocol. It's just a report. Like you said, it's never been officially labeled as such in any official capacity by Oklahoma. Certainly not Brent Venables, Brent Venables in the post game of BYU was initially very optimistic about Gabriel being back. Um, and then when he was asked specifically about it, he's like, I haven't talked to anybody since halftime. So I don't know for sure. But I'm I'm just operating under the assumption that Jackson Odd will play against TCU. Yeah, like I, I truly wonder, like if this had happened two weeks ago and we weren't going into the final game of the year, um, where gamesmanship could be an option. I wonder if Brent Venables is that optimistic in the post game, and I wonder if he's even that optimistic at his uh, the Monday or the Tuesday presser following that game. Um, it, it's it's so weird. It's it's the last game of the year. It's played on a Friday, so you have a, a shorter week. But I, I, I've been toying with this thought. You know, Dylan Gabriel means a lot to this program for a lot of reasons, a lot of very unique reasons. He's performed, I mean, I, I would probably say better than he was billed because, I mean, he 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 had he had some hype, but there was a lot of loud, like, chatter about how flawed he was and how, like, he will – he'll put a ceiling on this team. And while he definitely has a ceiling – even in a six and seven season, I remember thinking like, I mean, the Baylor game was bad because of those three picks, two of which weren't really his fault at all, but he's the quarterback. And then the TCU game, like that was, that was it. Everything else was like the defense can't tackle. Oh, you can't hold the lead. Play calling is crappy, whatever. So knowing how important Dylan has been and knowing this is the final game of the year and the last chance for OU fans to really like show their support. I mean, could you see some weird funky thing where they just put him out there to start, hand the ball off, get him out of there because he's truly probably not. I mean, would that even be something that would be allowed? Uh, I I don't think so. Again, because of like if he's not cleared, he won't be clear. Now, that doesn't mean if he's not cleared that he won't be in pads going through warmups and pregame. It doesn't mean that he won't be fully dressed out and in pads for the senior day festivities, which I, I missed Bedlam last year again, as we covered. So I don't actually were either of you there at that game. Um, no, I was at a birthday party just because I, I don't know if um, something that hadn't occurred to me until now. If Britt Venables runs senior day, the exact same way that Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley ran senior day, which is everybody gets honored before the game. Everyone does their own to do. Um, but yeah, uh, like I, Dylan Gabriel can go through warmups. He can be in full pads. He was in full pads going through warmups in the Cotton Bowl, and he was never ever going to play. So, um, I, I just think they'll go through all the senior stuff, senior day stuff. I, I would just be shocked if uh, if Dylan Gabriel plays. So I, I know it's in direct 
it is just directly against what Brent Venable said on Monday. I just concussion protocols so weird. It's just weird, you know? Yeah, I, I don't I don't see it either. I just I'm trying to think of some way, somehow, how Dylan Gabriel can just have like a moment more so than like because I don't know how he run, Brent Venables runs senior day either. I would just want there to be a something slightly more than just pregame like Dylan Gabriel. And then he gets like a 30 second ovation and then they move on Drake Stoops, Stoops you know, and yeah, everyone's quickly I, forgotten Dylan. If if he's not cleared, I don't think there's any way that they'd even let him hand the ball off. Like this would be a very specific situation, but maybe if like at the very end of the game, if the result is in sewed up for an Oklahoma victory, coming out of a timeout they can like roll him out there and then call it like out of a change of possession and then call a timeout before a play happens that way like they get to do the now at quarterback dylan gabriel they use the whole like 40 second clock to like applaud and they burn the timeout and if if he's not cleared they're not going to let him take a snap like it's just that that ain't how ou medical staff rolls matt this isn't fair why does this have to happen to Dylan Gabriel? It what wouldn't be it wouldn't be the worst burn timeout in the first half of Brett Venable's <laughs> tenure. So just we're saying. gonna need that fucking timeout. <laughs> exactly. Oh uh, no, man. We'll uh, need we, him for fourth downs anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about we talked about in the uh, no cap recap, man. But I mean, Dylan, he, he just he came at a unprecedented time in Oklahoma football history, man. Like. Uh, coaches don't just up and leave Oklahoma for other college jobs. That just like, that does not happen. Um, so him, and then uh, again, I mentioned it too. He's, he followed all of the guys, right? I mean, you're talking Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, you know, Spencer whisper, Rattler, whisper, whisper, Spencer Rattler, uh, Caleb Williams. And like, you Tanner know, Mordecai. Oh. Right? oh yeah. Yeah. Austin Kendall. No, uh, <laughs> but he, yeah. he had to follow follow all those guys, you know, coming up from uh, the group of five level and, I mean, an hour or so away from officially having to be UCLA's starting quarterback uh, and wanting to accept the challenge of playing at the University of Oklahoma, man. Like, that's uh, – I, I and has done well. I, I think, you know, for all of his uh, flaws last year, he was far from the top of the list uh, as far as problems go for me anyways, as far that's as far as that six and seven season goes. And uh, what did he do this year, but just play some of his best ball. I mean, dude, I, I, I'm not just like making this up to like, he was legit in the Heisman conversation. He had odds for the winning the Heisman trophy uh, after that Texas game, man. And, um, and then again, I don't, I don't think those losses were on him either. I mean, the ball got taken out of his hands up in Lawrence um, and then, you know, you just, you kind of give the ball away a, a couple of times up there in Stillwater. So, uh, I, I have a, a ton of respect for Dylan Gabriel and, and what he did and kind of what he's meant to like, and, and to like, if he didn't come to OU, are, are they starting Davis Bevel for a year? I'm sure they no, would have found somebody else. They would have got Jackson Dart. I wrote about oh, okay. this on the Monday night post and which would have been some- too bad. But, Some people like really think he's good. I think he's a much lesser version of Dylan Gabriel. I was I would much rather have Dylan Gabriel. Like yeah, I mean like, Jackson Dart, Jackson Dart wouldn't have been bad, but I would have much rather had Dylan Gabriel. So yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. It sucks. He's probably not gonna play this one, but um yeah, hopefully he goes through the senior day stuff and hopefully 
uh, fans give him the uh, the flowers he kind of deserves. Here's here's the most important thing, whether it be tiebreakers break Oklahoma's direction, they make it to Arlington, whether it be you're just talking about a bowl game. Uh, Dylan Gabriel is two passing touchdowns away from passing Landry Jones on the all-time passing touchdown list, which means I will start to claim him <laughs> as one of the great Oklahoma quarterbacks purely off of statistics and nothing else. Delicious. Yes. Shout out to the internet community, which we love so much, including our favorite internet dog uh, that rules the planes. Oh God, Landry Jones. <laughs> Why did you have to say that? And by the way, let me just go ahead and mention you, you invoked the phrase tiebreaker for all you fans that are just like foaming at the ballot. Like, Talk about how he's going to get to Arlington. So obviously, oh, you need to beat TCU, and they need they the easiest way is OSU to lose to our uh, Latter Day Saint friends in Provo, but they're playing in Stillwater. So uh, we need BYU to beat OSU with an OU victory over TCU. That's they're the a seventeen way. point favorite, by the way. OSU's yeah, well, seventeen point favorite. Well, we were a twenty, and we were a twenty exactly. We were a twenty three point favorite. We won by seven. So you know, using that math, they'll lose by seven. OSU will. So yay, everything should go according to plan. Yeah, I uh, just real quick on that, and this is the. I was there. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. I'm not trying to be that person. Um, BYU is gonna be dead in Stillwater. That stadium, it wasn't, it was technically a sellout. It wasn't a hundred percent full. The student section had a lot of space at the top of both corners. There were like a smattering of empty seats in the like regular ticketed non-student areas. The atmosphere was pretty muted to start. And then as the team BYU showed that they were going to be in that football game, then it grew, grew, grew. When Jackson Arnold completed the third and eight to Farouk, Total silence, crickets. BYU does their senior day after the game. Oh, the fans yikes. Just, the fans <laughs> just like very quietly filtered out. BYU's sideline was totally dead. This was the BYU circle the wagons. They've played a lot better at home. I would be like, it's not impossible if they play like they did against Oklahoma and then don't turn the ball over, they've got every shot to beat OSU in Stillwater, they're not gonna. Like, I, I would be absolutely jaw drop stunned. I've been very wrong a ton. I'm not perfect by any means. It. I know that's the cleanest thing. I would just say that uh, that doesn't feel like it's, like I think it's more likely Tech wins against a better Texas team than, than BYU goes into Stillwater just because, man, they put everything on that game and didn't get it. I will slightly disagree, I, I, um, mainly because I think Texas is just going to beat Tech. I, I've not romanticized the thought otherwise. And if if that's the route OU needs to go to get to Arlington, not only do they need Tech to beat Texas, they also need Iowa State to beat Kansas State, right? But even that, does that still pose questions, or is that still like an automatic? That, with one, an OU? that one's pretty automatic. Cause... Okay, okay. All right. You know, like I agree, BYU not good. They weren't good before the OU game. That game did not change my mind at all. Like, oh, they're actually much better. No, 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 no. That was a bad overall performance by OU. They had a bad day, and they were lucky to get the win. Um, but they earned it. They made the plays, um, like we mentioned prior, to win the game. I just kind of think if BYU beats OSU, it's just because OSU just does not have a very high ceiling. And how, like, is Ollie Gordon going to be anywhere near 85% for this game? Yeah, it's, great, gonna... it's a great question, because I I know he immediately after the 
like in the post game and Houston said, Oh, I'm good, ready to go. But he, he clearly wasn't the same dude uh, yeah. against Houston. Exactly. And there are opportunities against that OSU defense and the, I mean, the backup quarterback, Rhett's laugh. I, I can never remember his name. Right. I mean, he poses some interest. What, what's going on? Jake, Jake, Retzlaff. Jake, 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 uh, they have a name for him in Provo. Uh, is it because he's Jewish? It is. It is. Well, I've, Israel just announced a ceasefire. So like, I guess we, um, we we're safe from any like anti algorithm bots that are. Look, this is not an endorsement. This is, this is, it's what the cheerleaders call it. It's what this They call him the BY Jew. That's what he is referred to by his own student section in Provo. That, well, I guess I, I guess I'm just if, report. I'm just reporting what I heard, boys. I'm just reporting I, what I heard, boys. I, I guess if Jake, the individual, likes that name and thinks it's funny or thinks it's clever, then we are to then follow suit and think that it's also equally cute and clever. So there you go. But he poses some interesting problems for an OSU defense. I don't really think is that good at any level of their squad. So, I mean, there's hope, but yeah. Houston, Houston choked that game away, by the way. Like, Houston had that win in the bag against Oklahoma State, and the Donovan Smith show, uh, it happened in a bad way. Yeah, I, again, like, if, if OSU is going to lean on Alan Bowman to take them to Arlington because Ollie Gordon is not 100% and just kind of, like, worn down from the season that he's had – that that at some point should bite them in the ass. It should have bit them in the ass against OU, and it should have bit them in the ass against Houston. But ultimately, both teams choked, and then one of those teams also got screwed on a bad non call. Real quick, more senior day chatter, Ryan. I mean, is this going to be one of the more memorable senior days? Because not only is it Dylan Gabriel and the the roses that he will receive, but it's it's Drake fucking Stoops' senior day. <laughs> so it, it'll it'll be. Interesting to see like Bob, like if it's run the same way again, I, I can't remember how Brent did it last year. And I don't even think the broadcast highlighted it because it was a ESPN ABC game, I believe primetime. Um, it'll be interesting to see Bob and his wife, Carol, like on the field with Drake. And then Bob is not the one getting any, you know, accolades here. It's his son who has made out, carved out such a good career, very memorable career. He was actually on his way to an awesome day, in Provo, in my opinion, a few receivers were on their ways to big days. If Dylan did get hurt and the offense had to take kind of a step back for a few drives, but this is actually a senior day, like worth showing up for to the stadium um, a little bit earlier than uh, I would say other senior days of the past. Yeah, it it's going to be, this is the last time at Owen field that there'll be a stoops like involved for the foreseeable future and you haven't had that since 1998 so like that's gonna be wild i think it's gonna be a big day for brent when when he talks about um like he, he talked about off the top about senior day that the, the guys that are here for the most part like you're gonna honor your rondell bothroids and, and your reggie pearsons and, and your walter rouses but the guys like this for the most part not only agreed to stay through the transition, but Brent said it in the offseason. He gave everybody who wanted it pretty much one year of grace, and then there was the real transition, and everyone that's going through senior day this go-round who didn't transfer out or, you know, the graduations last year don't apply, but, like, th 
these guys are the ones that stayed and then stayed again after year one. And so I think that's going to be like the Jordan Kelly's of the world, the Isaiah Coe's of the world. Like, I think that those guys mean a lot to Bray. He's, he's that kind of person that he genuinely invests in, in, in all these guys. And so, um, that that'll be the the stoop scene's gonna be awesome, the Dylan Gabriel scene is gonna be really cool. But th- there's a bunch of other guys that I think um, they're gonna be. You know, we were talking with Isaiah Coe uh, last night, and he's been just like I'm trying to think about it, trying to think about it. But he's a really fiery, emotional guy, and and I think with Brent too, it, it's gonna mean a lot to him personally. They got to get the win, they got to get to ten wins, all that stuff. But that that's something I'm just really interested to track, just because. Uh, I, I think that this is a, one of those that Brent Venables is going to mean uh, remember for a little bit. And if they win, I could see this being the kind of like when you get to the senior day every year, if Brent works out and is the guy like 10 years from now, like I could see this being one that he like looks back to and refers to and, and talks about often. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how loud this ovation will be, but it should be loud considering what you highlighted about how banged up the defense is, Brian. But Woody Washington electing to stay, I mean, how important was that decision? Because if everything's just the same and the Gentry Williams cornerback position is just consistently banged up and not available and you don't have Woody Washington back there, yikes. Thanks, Woody. Thank you for coming back. Um, Yikes. Well, let's um, one more little mini thing before we get into a, a minor little TCU game chatter and then we'll finish off the episode with some college football at large talk. So Danny Stutzman not named a semifinalist for the Budkiss, also obviously not a finalist on the uh, Budkiss list. Um, I, I just wanted to talk about this, not necessarily because I feel like he was ripped off or anything. Just copy Matt, copy paste this for every single season. If a player gets no preseason hype for an award, absolutely no chatter. And guess what? An Oklahoma defensive player was getting no chatter about any individual award for reasons we would all agree with. They are not going to get any pub for any of these postseason awards because the postseason, like all these postseason awards are there to just pat themselves on the back. Like, yeah, like everybody gets a list. And the reason why everybody's name is on a preseason watch list is because the school sends their names to the award company or whatever, and then they announce it. But at the end of the day, like, it really comes with preseason hype. It's my Curtis Lofton rule. Curtis Lofton was the best linebacker in the country in 2007 and had he had fucking Heisman moments as a linebacker. And yet it went to the Ohio State guy who with the is he the guy on Pat McAfee show? AJ Hawk. Was it him or was I don't it know. There was some was Lar- Laronitis. No, there was some kid with um it was Jordan Dyson, I think, from Colorado. And that's just because him and <gasps> Yeah, I know him and Curtis, I think, had like they were going back and forth on who was leading the country in tackles. Yeah, and I think he just ended up having an absurd amount of tackles. That Wait, year. did did Dizon have like 140 tackles the year before? Yeah, I, 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 I might be getting my my. No, 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 no. No, I think I think Dizon had it. No, I think Dizon had a shit ton of tackles the year prior, which put him on some hype lists going into the year. So when he replicates that, it's like, oh yeah, see, we were right all along. Curtis Lofton had nothing because he had barely played his first few seasons. And then he has like the year that he had, which got him to the NFL as a second round pick. But I don't even think he was a finalist. It was Laurinaitis. 
Oh, it was Lord okay. Itis? In 07. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Dyson was Willis, the runner up. Yeah. Patrick Willis won in 06, and then Lord Itis swung through in 07. Dyson was the runner up. So Curtis Lofton wasn't even runner up. Yeah. Insert hockey Ohio State linebacker here. Of course. Also whole- important to remember about Stutzman, too, the timing of when the list came out, like the semifinalist, it came out after Bedlam. So that was two straight games where Oklahoma had lost the football game. And Danny Stutzman is not anywhere in the conversation nationally because when you run a 90-second highlight clip, the Sports Center anchor doesn't sit down and say, and oh, by the way, Danny Stutzman got hurt at the end of the first half against Kansas. And oh, by the yes. way, Danny Stutzman didn't play. So you got no preseason hype. And then you're one of a large group of guys that rat- are racking up tackles and tackles for loss. And then you're hurt, so you are totally just not in the conversation whatsoever, really since OU Texas, because you had OU Texas, the bye week, no one was saying anything good about OU's defense nationally in that UCF game. It was just, oh, Oklahoma survives, and then Stutzman's hurt. So that plus the lack of preseason hype train, all that stuff, if Danny decides to come back, he'll be like the guy that is featured in the photo for like the preseason butt list. You know, like he'll be the one that everyone's like, this guy. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I don't really I, I've heard some like just one off questions on OU podcasts here and there, and even on the radio on 107.7, which you two are both on, by the way. Um, I've heard just kind of like basic questions about like, hey, is Danny Sussman going to come back? And then it just never really leads to a conversation about it. So to me, it's just really interesting because he's played well enough to maybe get drafted at some like I am I, no by no means an NFL scout, but. I mean, he's played well enough that he he should be a player that's drafted. How high, I don't know. But I mean, I mean, Ryan, you talk to him consistently. What what are you thinking? Can you see him as a player that I mean, you go even going back to what you said about senior day and how it could be this thing moving forward if Brent does work out. If anybody would want to stay and fully realize a Brent Venables turnaround on defense, it would be Danny Stutzman. He's a mini Brent Venables. So I mean, do you think that's realistic or am I being too fanboy OU fan here? Yeah, just from the top, um, Eddie asked him on Monday yesterday about, um, like, what's that process that even begun? And Danny's like, yeah, they're like, the everyone knows that the process is looming and I will have to make a decision, but he hasn't like thought about it yet. So Danny's going to do the typical, whether he's decided not, whatever, that's what everyone's going to say. Danny's really great at knowing when to not say stuff. So that's the official thing. I think that. This would be a much more interesting conversation had Danny not gotten hurt against Kansas and then played against Kansas the whole four quarters, played against Oklahoma State, and been able to put together a whole season of production. I think that seeing like last year's tape where the light bulb came on late, but he was totally worn out. And then this year where he looked like a super soldier through the first half of the season. And then like it was a bad performance and it like by Danny standards, that game on Saturday was a bad performance. We all know he has food poisoning. The scouts will know he has food poisoning, but like he's really going to get, I think his draft is going to get determined off of this year's tape. Cause that's where they say the light bulb came on. And then against Kansas, a great run team. He only got to play a half against OSU. He only got to play nothing uh he food poisoning in provo 
I think he's the guy that when he turns his stuff in, like totally outside of the actual, just what does he mean to Oklahoma? What does Brett Middles mean to him? He more than anyone else, the argument of like, you'd go a year through the SEC and put up the kind of tape that you put up when you were healthy. And like, there will be no questions about you. You'll be billed as this SEC linebacker, all that stuff. I think that from the football perspective will be huge. Danny loves Brent Venables. Danny loves college. Danny loves Jaron Kanick and Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie. And one of the great strengths that Brent Venables and Clemson had all those years is they got the best players and they got the best players to stay. Yeah. Because they loved playing at Clemson. They had the the PAW program. I think it was called the PAW program which is basically, I think, kind of the nuts and bolts of what Brent Middles wanted to do with the soul mission and stuff like that. I think that Stutzman is the huge early test case for, like, I think he's got a real shot, just talking to Danny of convincing him, like, you love it here, come back one more year. And I think Brent Venable's comment about Danny, the press conference, maybe it was last, whatever press conference it was, where, leading to West Virginia, he talked about he was asked about Stutzman being left off the butt kiss award. And he said the phrase, he has the chance to be one of the best that's ever come through here. That like Britt Vindles has been like he doesn't say that to, stuff to us unless he like thinks it could be something. And it's and it's if it's not something he hasn't said to Danny and all that. Like I think when they sit down, Brent will be like, do what you want to do. But if you come back one more year, I, I truly think you'll have a shot to to put your name up there with the Teddy Layman's of the like be one of those guys at Oklahoma. And just knowing Dan, like I think that appeals to Danny. I think that Danny wants to leave a legacy in Norman because because OU took a shot on him. I know it wasn't this coaching staff when like even UCF would uh, as a recruit. Yeah, I didn't even think about the whole SEC angle, you know, because I mean, definitely for a lot of players moving forward, if they do have the capability to make a decision to either stay or go, I mean, the risk reward skyrockets because it's like, hey, if you just keep developing and do what you did, you know, albeit against some some better competition week in and week out. But if if you're as good as you think you are, you might be a fourth or fifth round pick right now. But if you do that next year in the SEC, you're going to jump to you know third, second, first, potentially, depending on how good OU is collectively as a team. So and- that's interesting. And too, like I, I was just thumbing through some stuff while you were talking, and it's not like official, like oh Todd McShay or like uh, or whatever Mel Kiper or anything like that. But uh, just thumbing through some stuff, it seems right now, like like you said, Brett, kind of like third through fifth round right now. Uh, because I mean, I I think I don't know if I'm sure it, it, people do realize it, but if you stand next to Danny, Danny's tall. Like Danny is like six four. And all of like 240, something like that. Like he is a big ass dude. Uh, and he's fast too. He's a lot faster than um, I'm sure probably people think. Uh, so I think just with like his measurables, and I'm sure if he tested well at the combine, like, yeah, I think third round is probably right. But I mean, Ryan, you're, I mean, I'm with you. Like if you do that, what he did this year against the SEC, right? Like, or have a big game against Alabama or something like that, you're talking like, Second round, we brought up a name earlier, Brady, Curtis Lofton. That guy was just just right in the second round. I think that'd be perfect for Danny. I, I think it's a very similar conversation. I think that there's the – and I'm and I'm not saying Tyler Guyton doesn't love Oklahoma or stuff like that. I think that there's a very – like it's clear Danny is a huge – like he's the focal point, the leader of this team. 
Tyler Guyton's another guy that's really interesting because if Tyler Guyton goes to the combine tomorrow, he's going to be the top performing tackle. He is that athletic. He is that talented um, on like on paper and someone's going to take a shot at like whatever he's being mocked at. If he goes, he will go higher than what you think he's going to go because something that says athletically he's too good to take a shot at. But you imagine Tyler Guyton being that athletic if he goes through a year in the SEC and keeps to develop, I think you're suddenly talking about whether you think he's there right now or not. This is a guy that's like top 15 pick because yeah. like athletically he charts as one of those offensive tackles that is a top 10 pick just, just off of burst explosion, 40, his, his cone draw, like all of that stuff. Tyler Guyton is like made for the combine. He suited up against BYU, but didn't play at all. Right. Did I hear that Correct. right? Yeah, yeah. And and Venables had said that was more about what Jacob Sexton was doing than anything Tyler. Because there was, like, against um, West Virginia, Gentry Williams and Desan McCullough were suited up. And, like, for the first couple of drives, McCullough was with the pack of guys that go up and down the sideline to be subbed in. And then as Oklahoma got ahead, he stopped being in that pack. Tyler Guyton was suited up, and he was in the pack of offensive players that were moving up and down the sideline to be subbed the entire game. So he was obviously, like, he is cleared. He is engaged. This wasn't a go through warm ups and not situation. But and so that's another one too that uh, Venable says that was more about what Jacob Sexton's doing. I, I believe. I mean, do you expect him to start then against TCU or? I don't know. Um, I the way that things have gone post Kansas, I actually don't because outside of injury, it sounds it sounds like there was a little bit of a maybe come to Jesus meetings labeling it too strongly, but there's a little bit of a, hey, let's cut the crap with playing 85 offensive linemen and just pick your five and go. And with Sawchuck rushing for 100 yards in three straight games, I know that Guyton was playing in that first of those three. Uh, this is two straight where Sexton's been at right tackle and it's been fine. So I I think that um, I, I think Sexton's going to start again just because they they seem to have flipped that switch as far as outside of injury. They want that offensive line to be totally settled since Kansas. Well, I mean, speaking of TCU, guys, um, I mean, we don't need to get necessarily too deep into it because, like I mentioned at the very top of the show, we've got um, Alan Kenny's uh, little portion that he did with Joel Anderson uh, from, oh, what was it called? Forgive me, Mr. Joel Anderson. I just had it right in front of me on Discord. Where the hell are you? Oh, the slow of slow burn. Joel Anderson played at TCU back in the 90s. He actually beat John Blake OU in 1997, I believe, in Norman. So, yay, that's fun. But, yeah, stay tuned to that for that one for more of an in-depth uh, conversation about the TCU matchup this Friday. But, I mean, guys... TC presents problems just because of the system. They do have talent. I mean, they, they played a national title a year ago. Yes, the vast majority of that team is gone. And yes, the vast majority of that team last year were all 12th year senior, super senior, portal COVID, super Saiyans. Like, we get that. They were one of the luckiest teams, if not the luckiest team in college football history, uh, or at least in the last 25 years, in my opinion. But they still present some problems. And it's no doubt a team that I would hope OU has circled for some time that, I mean, yeah, Texas beat us 49-0. TCU made OU look like dog shit last year. It was it was over well before Dylan Gabriel sustained his concussion in that game. Like, there, OU was not coming back. Like, OU could have made the score look prettier, 
if he had played and uh, continued and finished the game. But that that was a fucking beat down this side of the the Orange Bowl against Alabama. It was it was not close. So, I mean, OU's done pretty well this year against, I mean, what the few teams that they played and lost to last year, they've seemed to have kind of made an effort to like really rewrite the sins of 2022. They've done a good job of that. So, I mean, Matt, I'll start with you before we get to Ryan, but like what what are your initial thoughts? I mean, we've rarely, if not, not at all talked about Jackson Arnold on this, on this show. So even though we kind of alluded to, we're probably all expecting Jackson Arnold to not only play, yeah. but start the entire and play the entire game, hopefully. Um, so you're trotting out a new quarterback, freshman, super talented. We all know this. Um, OU has played very well at home. I mean, what are you expecting? It's a TCU team that's not really fighting for anything, but they're just mainly fighting for, I guess, some type of go to a bowl, fighting for some pride. They want to be probably the last teams that kicks OU out of the Big 12 and kind of feel like that. But I mean, OU wants to do the same thing and just leave this conference if they don't make the Big 12 championship uh, with a good taste in their mouth. So, I mean, how how do you see this shaking out as we get closer to Friday? Man, um, the issues in in pass coverage for OU that that worries me. Josh Hoover, I mean, he is a he is a freshman, but the dude has put up a ton of yards, <laughs> a ton of yards. I think he threw him four twelve last week uh, against Baylor. Um, so that's concerning, right? You just don't know. Uh, it's just a giant question mark over there, opposite of Woody Washington. Um, and like Ryan said, I mean, the safeties outside of Billy Bowman uh, again, it's kind of a toss up. It's just whoever's healthy enough to go out there, you're going to go out there. Um, so that concerns me a, a little bit. Amani Bailey, they're, they're running back, um, you know, over a thousand yards this season. Uh, he's, he's a good running back. Uh, and then the wide receivers, man, I mean, between, uh, I mean, Jared Wiley, the tight end who just had a monster week uh, against Baylor. Uh, they had Savion Williams, who Sooners fans will probably remember from last year, who had a big day. Uh, and the JP Richardson, the transfer from Oklahoma State, too. So, uh, and then uh, from uh, some OU recruiting past, Jalen Robinson. I'm sure people don't remember him because he was only at OU for one year. He is now on his fourth school, TCU. Uh, went from OU to UCF to Ole Miss and now at TCU. So it could be a Jalen Robinson revenge game. Who knows? We're not ruling that out. Um, but offensively, man, I, I just want to see them, like, if we're thinking it's Jackson Arnold. I want to see them treat it just like they have Dylan Gabriel out there. I don't want to see any like leashes or anything or, Oh, you know, try to ease him into anything. No, that was his, he got eased in a a little bit to BYU. I I think um, with this TCU defense, I am not impressed at all with them. I mean, if you remember week one, they gave up like 500 passing yards to Shadur Sanders in Colorado and just got diced up the entire time. Um, So I I would look for a big day, uh, from Jackson Arnold, man, because I, I think I think he's ready, and I, I want to see them treat it. I, I again, like I said, I don't want to see a, a, a short leash on on Jackson. You know, simplifying things or whatever. No, I want you to see it like, hey, it's just like Dylan Gabriel's in there. I want to see that game plan flowing just like it was your normal guy. Because I think Jackson Arnold can handle it, to be honest. I mean, Ryan UCF to Ole Miss to TCU find you someone that loves you as much as Jalen Robinson loves playing in the art Bryles system, right. the, uh, the art Bryles shadow system. Now um, I, I think that I like, I don't know who's going to win this game. I think it's gonna be pretty high scoring. 
I think that just what TC wants to do as far as tempo plus through the air with Hoover is not a great matchup for what Oklahoma has struggled with this year defensively when it comes to some of the tempo and passing. But here are the two things that I really look at uh, as far as like what the the two things I have my eyeball on. TCU is 120th in the country, one two zero in turnover margin. And that is because as good as Hoover has been, he forces three to five balls a game that have the chance to get picked. Some of the, it, it was until last week, it was about two a game that were actually coming down, but he makes some really young throws with the football. Right. And, and so uh, that's one of the things I'm looking at as far as the TCU offense, Oklahoma's defense is uh, a touch and goes to spin through the air they've caught those footballs, right? Like they, they are great when it comes to, Hey, if it gets thrown to you, they make their layups in that situation. The other thing is um, TCU's 127th, 127 in red zone offense. So it, that also plays into Oklahoma has given up yards. And then the mentality we talked about earlier, bowing up in the red zone. I think this could be a situation where I think that plan for bowl eligibility Dykes and Bryles are going to be aggressive as far as saying, if it's fourth and two from the like fourth and goal from the two, I think they're going for it. So if those result in touchdowns or goal line stops, that's going to go a long way to deciding if Oklahoma gets out of this thing with a somewhat more comfortable look on the scoreboard. If it's tight, if they lose all that stuff. So that's what I'm looking for there. You flip it over. If it is Arnold and he gives it a go in a way, I think that you might get the game plan that Oklahoma fans have been asking for of, uh, Brevin was talked about like the way that Jeff Levy sets up his reps. He splits it pretty evenly in practice throughout the week with half of them going to the one half of them going to the two anyway. And that he said, Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold, they believe that they have similar skill sets. They run the ball a little bit differently, but they both can run. They both have throw. Uh, Jeff Levy has always talked about Dylan Gabriel's deep ball, something that he likes. Obviously we know Arnold has just more arm strength, so that's going to be something. But if anything, if the offense is 20% more simple because you have a true freshman running it, isn't that what Oklahoma fans have just wanted out of this offense? Is like, just stick to your simple stuff, your bread and butter. Let Drake Stoops go get the ball over the middle of the field. Let Nick Anderson double move on people right behind the defense. It'll just be down to Arnold. He was super, like, he just over, he overclocked that throw to Anderson. And otherwise, we're talking about the Jackson Arnold performance that was. Yes, they called it kind of conservative to start because of the field position. And then look, when he got the chance to air it out to Nick Anderson, boom, hits the deep ball. We saw that in the Tulsa game. That was your look for the OU breaks that thing open. So I think it'd be really fun. I think there'll be a lot of points. I think this is a game that'll be, you know, mid 40 something to like 38. I, I just I truly don't know uh, who's going to win this thing. I'm probably going to pick Oklahoma, but I, I think that this is a like a, a toss up just because I, I think it's a bad matchup for what TCU likes to do offensively, what Oklahoma struggle with defensively. But as I mentioned, the, the two big areas that he's been really good at is what TCU's really deficient in. So you tell me one of those things. Yeah. I mean, it's just really going to come down to like how sharp is OU. If OU comes out sharp, they came out sharp against, I mean, not technically they didn't come out sharp defensively against West Virginia, but I think that was kind of like, let's see what they're going to do. And then we'll adjust to that. And then, then they were sharp. Um, if they're if OU sharp, I mean, OU, OU should win this game rather comfortably, but there's just so many, like, I don't know factors. It's a short week. You've got an 18 year old freshman quarterback starting more than likely. Um, you've got a defense that's somewhat reeling. You've got a defense that's definitely banged up. You've got an offense that's going to be, well, I mean, 
we know what to do with Dylan out there, but do we know what to do with Jackson Arlo out there potentially? So there are a lot of questions. So it's really hard to just assume safely just because it's a it's a home game and TCU isn't particularly good. I know he was looking to really cap off their season with a smile on their face. It's really hard to even safely assume that they will play sharp. So, I mean, I think you're both right. It's just going to be hard to really target this one. It's going to be really hard to see OU win comfortably. It's going to be really hard at the same time, on the same breath, probably to see OU lose this game. So, I mean, I mean, Ryan, you kind of alluded to not wanting to predict it just yet. This is usually when we predict. Matt, do you have a score prediction? Uh, I'm going to go 35-31 OU. Close one. TCU covers. Yeah. 35-31 35-31 OU. I wanted 38-31 OU, but that would that would mean a field goal has to go in. So yeah, a lot of the, I was thinking like 45 for Oklahoma, but again, I, that requires Zach Schmidt to roll out and just be able to do basic things, which he simply oh. cannot do. Uh, T's and P's to the Schmidt family. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, I like 45 to maybe 35 if Oklahoma, and that's where you know Oklahoma does their executes uh maybe a goal line stand and it gets a gets a turnover feels like you got that there i i just i have a lot of respect for josh hoover and the tcu uh operation but yeah it, it should be i'd say like 45 35 probably oh 42 35 i'm yeah, gonna 35. i'm gonna go the opposite direction i'm just gonna do it i foresee nine to three no i i foresee a weird scenario or a fun scenario, a crazy scenario where OU wins rather comfortably. And I, I'll, I'll say, oh, 48 to 24. They win 48, 24. OU does. You know exactly what's going to happen if that's the case. Start Jackson Arnold, the Big 12 championship, if they make it. <laughs> start him. I don't care. Thanks, Dylan. See ya. If they don't make the Big 12 championship, start Dylan. Opt out. Jackson Arnold for Heisman next year. If if OU wins and plays sharp and wins comfortably, Jackson Arnold is going to have a lot to say with it for for it. Obviously, I I can just hear it already right now. Just the Jackson Arnold hype train, hype machine. Here's, here's my suggestion: If Oakland wins comfortably and they play in Arlington, Austin Sagan is going to go through Senior Day stuff. Very happy for him. It's a great college football story. Badly back from a lot of stuff. Take Stogner off the field. Gabriel Arnold Sachuk. Put all three of them out there for every single yes. snap. Figure it out. Yes. <laughs> That'll be good. I believe Alan mentioned on Discord his prediction would be OU 42, TCU 34 for those out there keeping score. Peyton remains mysterious as always. Um, gents, any more OU? Th- talking points before we cap this thing off with some at-large college football stuff here and there. No, just no, I'm, I'm, I'm just really intrigued to see, because again, all, all this could be moot. Dylan Gabriel could test out. And then if that happens, I just, I think it'll be a comfortable OU offense. They've looked great in Norman um, when they've not turned the ball over. Uh, and, and that'd be really cool. It's as interesting as it would be to get a whole start for Jackson Arnold uh, to kind of preview what next year could be and all that stuff. I I really like Dylan Gabriel. I, he's always been really kind and thoughtful to us for the most part. Um, when we talk to him on Mondays and Tuesday nights, and um, I I would uh, I'd like to see him be able to have a senior day performance where it's not going to be the eight total touchdowns, but I, I'd like to see him be able to 
to have that one last go of it in Norman. Me too. No, like I, I would say that I want OU to win. That's like the main thing. But if it, if I was writing the script, Dylan Gabriel would be cleared. He'd be perfectly healthy, like no nefariousness. He's perfectly fine. And he goes out there and kicks ass one last time for OU. So that's, that's how I would actually want it. But because I don't think that's going to happen, I'm deferring to Jack Snarled in the hype machine. So uh, we're just going to go with that. Um, Marcus Major, uh, tell me why he's going to play and start. It's his senior day too, Ryan. Uh, because Oklahoma was so inspired by no one's ability to stay on their feet in Provo that they're like, hey, if if that can happen in the field conditions, he can he can get it too. It's going to work this time, guys. It's going to work, I swear to God. College football playoff rankings. Washington, or Washington jumps Florida State. Florida State's basically been told, your starting quarterback is out for the year, so you're pretty much done. Have fun. Um, I just, let's stick it with, let's just stick to like Lincoln Riley and maybe Texas A&M guys. Like, like, I guess we have to kind of, if OU doesn't make the Big 12 championship, I guess we have to kind of root for Texas to win and Oregon to lose so that Texas gets the playoff bid, which would leave the Big 12 needing a, an at-large bid for the New Year Six, and they wouldn't ask OSU to go, probably. They'd probably ask OU. That would be the best-case scenario for OU if they don't make the conference championship. So in a weird way, we have to root for Texas and root against Oregon. That's not weird. But Lincoln Riley has completely and utterly shit the bed at USC. And you got like people out here like making some broad, bold statements about how he's lost the team, he's lost the program. He should. He's on, like Plashke wrote in the LA Times that he's on the hot seat. Who? Uh, who Plashke? Fuck him. Oh, is there is there something here? This man thinks that Truist Park and the Battery in Atlanta is some stale shopping mall. Hey, the Coliseum's a sterile shopping mall, you asshat. That's the sterile shopping mall. Fuck you, Bill Plashke. Is this a soccer thing? Uh, he, he, some guy. And when the Braves and the Dodgers played in the 2021 NLCS, he did nothing but talk shit on Atlanta's atmosphere. And so I do nothing but talk shit on Bill Plashke. Well, there you go. Well, you had the last laugh, didn't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. Well, I mean, we got people like making like some pretty serious, not not claims, I guess, but making some having pretty serious language for Lincoln Riley and how he's led the program at USC and what it's ended up being. Moving forward, they will not have Caleb Williams more than likely anymore. He will go off to the NFL uh, and then they will move to the Big Ten, where they will play the likes of in- Illinois, Indiana, Rutgers, Maryland, and Iowa. And then, of course, Michigan and Ohio State. But, boy, it's almost like we knew what we were talking about, boys. Um, you know, like, both things can exist. We can think that he's not very good, and his coaching does not lend itself to building a powerful program and it does not lend itself to winning championships that can exist at the same time as his departure in the way that it happened is completely and utterly detrimental, potentially 
for the program because everybody wanted to look at that whole conversation with like dumb, dumb ears and go, wait, you say he sucks, but then he leaves and you guys like cry about it. Like what's, what's How does that work? He must be really good then. Right. Huh? A bunch of that shit. And now all that has gone out the, gone by the wayside. So Ryan, like how have you taken what Lincoln Riley has ultimately done this season? And, and how have you from afar, I guess, observed or consumed the whole conversation surrounding him and his coaching at USC. Yeah, it's been pretty funny because I mean, like it, and it culminated with on the same night that Oklahoma beat Texas, uh, USC survived that overtime game with Arizona, which is actually a lot better win. It's a good win. Back on, yeah, like looking back on it, that was like a, a great win. Good job, uh, Lincoln. But then everyone circled back. It felt like nationally that Sunday and they're like, Ha ha! Look at this. Oklahoma is better off after all. And I'm going to present this original thought as if scorned Oklahoma fans didn't yell about it for 18 months and all that. And so, yeah, it's just look, there are rumors flurrying, flurrying, flurrying down LA that Jim Leonard uh, is going to be the guy that comes in. They, they're going to acquire him as a defensive coordinator, all that stuff. Uh, unless Lincoln Riley himself changes some of his practice habits, i.e. lets them mofos hit week to week, it doesn't matter. He could get um, Vic Fangio or whoever you want in there to be the DC, and it'll be better, but it's not going to look like an elite defense until he looks within himself and says, I clearly structurally am not giving my team the best chance to develop week to week to week. Now, will he do that? He can. I don't believe he will because Lincoln Riley seems to stick to his guns of like, I got this boys. I'm going to do it my way and all that stuff. But it'll be interesting. Uh, I I almost think last year was the worst thing for him with how USC's defense played. Because last year was the confirmation bias of the defense was awful, but they forced all of those red zone turnovers. And it was like, this is everything Alex Grinch had ever said. And it, you could see it was Lincoln's vision. I don't they didn't either get me the ball back fast or turn the ball over because we got scored. Like, it doesn't matter. Just get my offense the ball a ton. And and USC was almost good enough to win the pack. Like, I still think that they win the pack till championship game if Caleb Williams' hamstring doesn't curse blows. So... I think that was almost like the worst like confirmation bias at the worst time for Lincoln because now the defense is any better. The turnovers, which are just random year to year for the most part, come back down to earth and Bob's your uncle that uh, they have to make that change. Well, that's the thing is if people were paying attention to those forced turnovers against Rice and Stanford in particular, you know, those first two games of the year last year. I mean, Rice and Stanford, for no reason, in games that they were going back and forth with, yes, Rice was in a back-and-forth game with USC. Rice and Stanford's quarterbacks just decided, here, take it. It was about as as forced of a turnover as OU's two fumbles were in Stillwater. Like, if you want to consider those forced turnovers, then sure, I guess Pat OSU on the back for forcing Andrew Rame to forget how to snap a few times. So... I mean, that that was kind of like my thing was like this at some point will bite them in the ass. And it did kind of in in the end of the season last year. But like you mentioned, like if Caleb doesn't get hurt, they probably still beat Utah even with that shitty defense. But it certainly came back and bit them in the ass this year because there's just no development. And so I know people are kind of like circling the name Jim Leonard because he's like this mythical, awesome defensive coordinator. 
I'm telling you guys right now, he could hire, like you mentioned, anybody. He could hire the, I mean, who was the defensive coordinator for the, was it Bob Ryan? Was it Buddy Ryan? Yeah. yeah he get Buddy, the 85 Bears? Yeah. Yeah, they, he could, they could hire him and it won't matter because Lincoln's in charge and he just does not care. He doesn't care about it. So he thinks that you can win collectively by having like little pods on a team offense over here, defense over there. We'll meet on Saturday, make it work. Just does. That doesn't work that way. I mean, Matt is, is, is it not, it's almost kind of annoying now. Like we've known this for so long and we see it play out very slowly. And then people suddenly are like, Oh, uh, this is a newfound revelation that no one's ever warned me about when Lincoln's teams ultimately play like they can play. I, I mean, to me, it's just like, can we just hurry up and get him to the fucking NFL as an OC or, or watch him flounder out in the big 10. Let's just hurry up because again, he's just a glorified Mike Leach assistant coach who lucked into Baker Mayfield and Kyler. He, he did a good job of coaching them. Like he, he helped, but if Baker just does not just decide to go somewhere else or just stay at tech, I mean, are we having this conversation? Oh man. Um, first off, I, I mean, I do still think that he would be an NFL head coach cause I mean, they, they, the NFL hired Cliff Kingsbury after he got fired from his alma mater. So like the, the bar is very low. If you're just an offensive guru guy, you're going to get hired at, at some point. Uh, to run an NFL team, but I, I don't think it should be annoying anymore. I think OU fans should actually love it and kind of accept it for what it is because everything that OU fans were saying has been completely vindicated. You know, even like, uh, you know, the the douchebag Bill Plaschke. I'm with you, Ryan. I got you, bro. Got you. Let's go Braves. Um, even the douchebag Bill Plaschke like he's calling for his head. Like they, they, like Colin Cowherd was even questioning Lincoln Riley, and that's his biggest fan. It's uh, it's it's all kind of falling apart. Exactly how OU fans explained that it would, and I think you should feel vindicated and now just uh, find all of this funny because yeah, it was annoying when people were fighting back and not listening to what OU fans were saying just because uh, your butt hurt that Lincoln left and, you know, USC big dogged you and took your coach and all this stuff, yada, yada. And everything that OU fans have said has come true um, this season. So it's, I think you should feel vindicated, accept it, think it's funny. The annoying part is over because it's all been true. Ryan, are you going to be the next head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies? Uh, if they want to pay me, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, uh, I'll take that buyout. I know absolutely nothing about the X's and O's of coaching a team, but I could do the like, Hey, you'll even pay what Jimbo is getting. If you just give me like five, but like on a 10 year deal a year, give me a big buyout and a really, really big coordinator budget where I'm literally going to hire just all the coordinators I want. I'm all in. Well, Ryan, you could be the right coach. You never know because that's yeah. all that Texas A&M is missing. They're just missing hiring the right coach for that thing to really just skyrocket to national championships every single year. They need Mr. Wright. The elusive I, Mr. Wright they, that has eluded them for over a hundred fucking years. I'm looking for Mrs. Wright. Do you think that maybe A&M is looking wrong? Do they need to also look for Mrs. Wright? 
Does Jimbo Fisher have a daughter? Maybe you can go after her or something like that. She's very, very rich now. Very rich. I think yeah, that's an rich. idea. I I actually don't know if marrying into that family is worth the money. <laughs> I have a very similar opinion of the cult happenings. Uh, you in can't station. You can't look at it that way. That family. You can't look at it that way, Ryan. You got to look at it like you're saving her. Well, as the great American poet Jay Cole once said, like, don't save her, Brady. She don't want to be saved. So um, you don't need a savior. You just need someone who can uh, continue to recruit the way they recruit, but also get guys that care about playing at A&M and also manage the fact that every single donor, like it's the same issue that like to a, I think a much larger degree, because they have the little brother complex that, um, like Texas, you have to manage the donors and coach the football team. AM, you have to coach the football team and manage the donors and manage the donors with the little brother complex that wanted everything to be Texas. Like it, it's just a, like it just feels like there are about five trillion too many cooks in the kitchen in College Station always. Yeah, if they're gonna be billionaires in Texas, why don't just go to why don't you just go to Texas? Why did you choose to go to AM? So odd. But that's where we're going to leave it. And like I mentioned again, please stay tuned. We've got more through the keyhole action with a more specific TCU preview with Alan Kenny and Joel Anderson coming up in just a few more minutes. But uh, Ryan, man, thanks for jumping on short notice. We really appreciate it. Two things real quick, just real quick. I just want to run through this quickly, if you'll allow me. Your New Year's Six watching guide, just for... The tiebreakers, the tiebreakers, like in the Big 12, I, I think it's pretty unlikely. So what you're looking at, if you're an Oklahoma fan and you care about going to New Year's Six Bowl, first off, you got to have Texas beat OSU. If OSU wins, Texas and OSU go to the New Year's Six and Oklahoma's out. Um, so you need Texas to win. And then from there, you're looking at a couple of things, guys. Um, unlikely, but if Arkansas could upset Missouri, that would be helpful. Uh, if Ole Miss could drop the Egg Bowl in Starkville, which is always a very weird game on Thanksgiving, that could be helpful. Uh, Penn State's playing the corpse of Michigan State on the road. Like Oklahoma's sitting at 13. They need to get to 11 because remember the CFP committee, those rankings, they dictate the New Year's Six. Uh, SMU or Tulane probably is going to grab that at-large, the, uh, the group of five at-large spot, whatever. And so otherwise you're looking at if Florida state could maybe drop the game to Florida. And again, that's going to feature two backup quarterbacks and then rally and beat Louisville. Or if Louisville loses to Kentucky this week, like there, there are a couple of paths. Oh, you probably needs a couple of those things to happen, but the brand and the allure of OU is going to be huge because the new Year's six bulls are going to want Oklahoma. So if, if that's what you're looking for, new Year's six wise, uh, there's that. And then the other thing I had is, boys, what are we doing here? What, what what Thanksgiving side dish are you fiending for on Thursday? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm so scatterbrained with Thanksgiving. Like I, people have such serious takes. Your morning co-host has very serious takes on Thanksgiving food. Uh, I mean, I guess I like all the hits, but really... I mean, Matt, if you could think of something, go because I'm 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 still trying to really think. I, I what, like what, it all. I am like, team. You, oh no, go ahead. I was just gonna. What do you eat the most of? Like like you go back. Like for me, the, t- the I, protein turkey. Yeah, for me, I I like turkey, but I load up on sides because most of these sides I usually only get at Thanksgiving. And so I don't do dessert on Thanksgiving. Generally, I, I like all the side. I'm more of a savior than sweet, savory than sweet guy. 
I love meat gravy casserole, but the one that gets me is the potato casserole. I end up going back for more and more. Very good. Of the uh, potato casserole. So, th- so that is probably, if I were to rally and, and join an army of only one food item on Thanksgiving, it would be the uh, potato casserole crew. I'll man, keep I'll, it uh, I'll swim in I'll swim in mashed potatoes and gravy, man. I'll I'll swim in that stuff, man. I, I love it. And then, uh, to I, I, I go to uh, these past couple of years. I've been going to Erica's family. Um, they make some sort of like broccoli and, and cheddar and rice thing. That dude, I, I could eat that by the boatload. Hmm. Broccoli and cheese is very, very good when combined. Oh, yeah. I love oh, dude. That. And Ryan, I saw your question to Porter Moser, too. And the uh, the sweet potato with the marshmallows on top and cinnamon. Yeah, that's uh, that's top tier. Big oh. sweet potato guy. I, I actually prefer it without the marshmallows. I'm never going to turn it down, though. Never going to turn it down. My mom makes uh, like thrice baked potatoes so Ooh, good yeah yeah it's just keep keep putting it put it in there one more time put it in the oven one more time it's so damn good potatoes are just great so i'm looking forward to this thursday but um right real answer for... real answer to your question right i'm eating all of it I don't, I don't i'm throwing it all in there we are pro soaking and pro starch here at through the keyhole i'm trying to tell ryan thanks Matt. sorry sorry thank you ryan love you ryan get the fuck off my show Bye. I got to go write this Billy Bowman story. It's going to publish Wednesday morning. It's good stuff. Uh, you should go read it all soonish.com. Yes, I do. You should too, listeners and patrons alike. Uh, but for Alan Kinney, Peyton Guthrie, Mr. Matt Burton, Brady Trantham, thank you everybody for listening to Through the Keyhole. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Until next time, Boomer. Sure. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to this uh, special free edition of Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma Sooners fan podcast. Uh, final game of the regular season coming up on Black Friday. TCU Horn Frogs coming to Norman for probably the last time for the foreseeable future. They've had a lot of like memorable games the past few years and everything. So wanted to bring on uh, Joel Anderson of Slate's, uh, well, Slow Burn, right? Uh, let's see here. Hang up and listen. Uh, all kinds of stuff. You also might know him as Joel in Missouri City if you uh, follow <laughs> her the right time. Uh, and he also happened to not only play football for TCU back in the day, he also covered the Oklahoma Sooners for the Associated Press. So who better to have it on to uh, talk today? So let's go welcome him on. Joel, man, what's up? I'm, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. And I'll, I'll, I'll even tell you this. I'll give you this little tidbit because I just re- realized this. Um, my redshirt freshman year at TCU, season opener. Uh-huh. I know where this at, is going. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Uh OU came down and, and played us uh in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. It was it was a season opener in 1996. So Jeff Dover did a little number on that. I think that was a John Blake era. Oh yeah. The John Blake era. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. Yeah. May he may he rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, man. Yeah, ooh. man. It was that was that was a rough that, time. Yeah, yeah you gotta look at that up close, huh, man. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, you know, people keep you know, I've had people asking me, you know, like who's the best recruiter that OU's ever had? I mean, you gotta go with Barry Switzer number one, right? Oh, but I mean, John Blake was a 
a monster out on the recruiting trail, man. That was just nuts. I mean, look, man, I mean, people can say whatever about what he did there, but I mean, the bulk of Stoops' first and yeah. only national championship team, those yeah. were dudes that came, you know, from John Blake, man. So he, he I mean, he he laid a foundation. Now, maybe he didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, the disparity between being able to get the players and being able to like deploy them, you know what I mean, there's, has never been greater. <laughs> there's a few, there's a there's a there's a few guys like that, but yeah, he was he was elite in that category. At yeah, least. For so, sure. yeah, for sure, for sure, man. Well, so uh, you know, you follow you follow TCU, obviously. You know, they've been in the Big Twelve now since what I think 2012 is their first year, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. eleven years now, or whatever. I think I, I my guess is that well I'll just ask you so do you think TCU like fans or anything are they happier where they are now than where they were? Well, I mean, so I was one of the people that was sort of reluctant to join the Big Twelve at the time because I was like, well, we're doing really well at the level that we're at, and you know we had found some schools that we were really competitive with, and it was the most successful period in TCU football history, you know, at at least since the thirties. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was sort of happy at that level, but I think now, and especially watching the way that college football has realigned and sort of shifted around, it obviously is the best space for us because, you know, it restores rivalries with Baylor and Texas tech and, you know, um, you know, at least briefly, you know, university of Texas and stuff. So, I think that it's where we need to be right now. And, you know, if maybe if last year it hadn't happened, if maybe, you know, that that magic carpet ride to the national championship game hadn't happened, people might be feel a little bit more uh, conflicted about the big 12 era for TCU. But um, I I think that helped a lot. And it shows like what the potential for the program is, right? Like what the ceiling can be if everything goes right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all worked out. Everybody wants to be in the mix if you can be, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you, you know, because with OU moving to the SEC next year, I mean, I get it. I really do, like, on all I think in terms of just opening doors and recruiting, the money, the games, you know, all that stuff. But it's kind of like, as a fan, I look at it and think, I don't, I don't really care that much about Auburn. I don't care that much about South Carolina. You know what right. I mean? Like right. the games that I want to watch on Saturdays for the most part are I want to watch Oklahoma State and TCU or, yeah. you know, I want to watch Texas try to, you know, try to hold on against Kansas, that type of thing. You know what you I know mean? What? I'm, like, I'm, surprised that, I'm surprised to hear you say that because I, I kind of think that like. OU is like a, one of those programs. It's a helmet program, right? Yeah. So when you guys start playing Ole Miss, when you start playing AM again or playing Arkansas or Missouri, like, you know, that, that that'll be fun for y'all. I'm surprised that you care about, you know, that you might miss Iowa State and uh Yeah. Well, you know, you know in K yeah. State and Kansas and you know the the dregs, so to speak, of uh P5, right? You know what? I, I know, I know. And like don't get me wrong, right? Like, uh, in terms of the quality of play, right? And stuff like that, or at least like, I, I wouldn't say necessarily the quality of play, because I think that one of the things that's severely underrated about the Big 12 is like the coaching across the board, right. and the evaluation, stuff like that. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want Mike Gundy coaching my team any day. But <laughs> the fact of <that laughs> the matter is like, the way he's able to keep a program like Oklahoma State running, you know, I mean, look at what Gary Patterson did for TCU. 
you you know, Texas Tech, I mean, how they had Mike Leach forever there and everything. You know, I mean, like there's been there's so much innovation, I feel like, that comes out of the Big 12 that gets passed on. And, you know, when when OU goes to the SEC, I see a lot of these games and I see them match up. And what I see a lot of times is it's like, do I do I have the dudes or do you have the dudes? Right. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's very predictable in that sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the one thing, I mean, look, I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the SEC isn't, you know, the best overall conference top to bottom, right? But, I mean, I look at a lot of those games. I'm, You know, when people are talking about the SEC, so to speak, mm-hmm. they're talking about Alabama, Georgia, yeah. LSU yeah. some years. They're not talking about actually sitting down and watching Auburn or South Carolina mm-hmm. or Vandy or Kentucky, right? You know, right. those those teams are good some years, some years they're not. But yeah, that's not, they're not exciting. It's not like you look at them and see a lot of innovation a lot of times mm-hmm. out there, right? So I totally, I totally get that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, the Big 12 does have some great, some great coaching, some great scheming. Like it's been a real fertile ground for some, some coaches to try some different things, right? Um, because I also think that some of that is that a lot of these schools are not near necessarily recruiting hotbeds. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so they've got to come up with different ways to be competitive, right? Oh, sure. Um, and so, yeah, the, what do they say? The necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, the, the, to your point about Mike Gundy, like, yeah, like, I mean, obviously that's not a dude that any of us want to, <laughs> most of us should not want to be hanging out with. But I cannot deny that what he has done at Oklahoma State is a miracle. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. For most of our yeah. life, Oklahoma State was a non-factor. And now, mm-hmm. I mean, they're a credible, you know, bowl contender year after year and sometimes championship contender. Right, so, yeah. right. I mean, the idea that this team might play for this team this year might play for the Big 12 championship is insane, right? Like, I mean, bro, just, I mean, they, yeah. lost to South, they lost to South Alabama, th- I mean, early in the year, like by nearly four touchdowns. Like, it's it's. It's unbelievable that he managed to rally and get that team back into contention. I just badly, yeah. badly, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, yeah, you know, it, you see those graphics every year, or the SEC puts out some press release, like you know, we had 80 players drafted in the NFL draft board, and I look at it, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, why aren't some of your teams better, man? <laughs> if you got all these guys going to the NFL, like, what do I care if South Carolina's at 10 guys in the NFL if they're winning like six or seven games? You know, that's what I'm saying, yo. I mean, again, I just think the SEC has got a free ride off the backs of Nick Saban and yeah. now Kirby Smart. And, you know, whatever year the less miles lucked up into a lot of talent. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I don't I don't look at the quality of ball in the SEC. I can look at the athletes and say, OK, they've got d- dudes on the line. They've got speed. Yeah. But I'm not looking at like necessarily, you know, um, them breaking or innovating the game in any real way. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I, that's why that's why I tend to think that OU is going to do well over there, because they've always figured out how to manage to work with the talent that is available to them and you all want it really badly in a lot of in you know just like a lot of the sec schools do but mm-hmm. this you guys have been, been able to compete in an area would not oklahoma should not be as good as it is i think is that fair to say Can i think I say, I, I say that all the time i mean i think oklahoma yeah. football is literally like a miracle when you look at it i mean it's a yeah. poor state there aren't a lot of people there there yeah you, dallas is two hours away from norman but like I mean, so are a lot of other places, you know, I mean, like it's it's very much an institutional will type of thing, you know, in terms of driving the program and its success. So that's that's why I tend to, you know, it, it's not like a birthright for OU to be good, right. obviously, but 
I don't know, it matters a lot if that makes sense, right? And it's not oh. necessarily like a bunch of boosters throwing cash at the, at you know at the program demanding it goes one way. I mean, it matters to the whole state, you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, I lived in in Oklahoma for about a year and got to see some of the high schools, you know, like when Jinx was good and like yeah. Tulsa Union were good and yeah. I was like, you know, oh, you have some talent, but like oh, you Oklahoma doesn't have more talent than Dallas. Right. Nah, huh. <laughs> you know what not I'm saying? Close, yeah, right? not even close. But like they still have figured out they still managed a way to feel, you know, I mean, it, at least in my lifetime, I'm 45 years old. The only program that's been consistently better than OU over that time is Ohio State. Mm -hmm. You know, like in terms of like just consistent year after year, really good teams yeah. that are competitive. And so, yeah, man, OU is a miracle. And I just tend to think that would that if if AM can be as as our friend Bomani Jones says, if if AM can be an eight-win program in the Big 12 and then be an eight-win program in the SEC, then I kind of feel like OU is a 10 win, 10 or 11 win program yeah. in the Big 12. I think they'll probably be about a 10, 11 win program in the SEC for the most part. Well, let me, I mean, you know, you played college football like as as a player like in the 90s, right? Versus a player now. Like, I mean, what do you think the biggest difference in maybe your lifestyle or the way, you know, in the, if you're a player then versus now, I mean, you know, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on that? I wonder, cause it seems like the game itself, the, or everything around the game itself has changed so much in that time. You know, I mean, man, it's just, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, everything, but I think one thing, the training and the coaching is so much better, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I was a kid, they they didn't even sanction seven on seven events in Texas yeah. when I was in high school. Like there was just if you played seven on seven, it was just something you did with your your teammates. It you know during the summer of practice, you didn't necessarily play any other schools because there was no events, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so these kids are getting drilled on offenses and complicated schemes in ways that I just I, we it would have been for a foreign language to us in the late in the late nineties. Also. You know, the the workout and conditioning programs that they go through, they start at a much earlier age than they did. And I didn't really regularly start lifting weights until the summer before my junior year of high school, yeah. which is crazy. Like that would never happen now. Like you mm -hmm. would, if you were going to be in a football program, you would have been, you know, through a process starting your freshman year. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, these kids are just so much they, they have so much more knowledge of the game through seven on seven, the the complicated stuff that that is that's kind of filtered up uh you know through at all levels of football. And also I think like even just the video games, like the yeah and stuff and all they're just the familiarity with complicated offensive concepts and defensive concepts, they have it much earlier than we had uh at that time. So that's one thing. And I, I the other thing I'll say is just even the bad FBS schools have good facilities now. Yeah. When I when I was at TCU, we had to our, our locker room was okay. You know, it was mm -hmm. it was the best locker room I'd been into that point. But it was like I look at it now and I'm like, oh, high schools have a better locker room than this. We had to cross the street and walk up a hill. It was probably about three quarters of a mile to walk to our practice field when I was in college. Like that's crazy. Like nobody right. would do that now, right? Yeah. You know. So I mean, it's like it's everything, but it's really just the 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 things that they've done the the atmosphere that they created so the athletes can thrive now it's just a totally different game than what we were playing in the 90s man it was primitive stuff like my dad played college football and i mean they barely had face masks back then yeah. so you know <laughs> the evolution of the game is just every generation's right they just yeah. they just figured out and make it a little bit better and a little bit more high tech so yeah yeah but like 
we're also kind of coming to this. I, I feel like we're coming to a crossroads. You know, you mentioned all the money that's important facilities and all stuff. I mean, at some point, like, I mean, we've got to be getting close to some type of like revenue sharing deal. Don't you think, or something like that? Or, I mean, you, you tell me. Yeah, no, I absolutely think that. I don't think it's possible for the arms race to continue in quite the same way because I mean, people are going to start looking at, well, what am I getting for my money here? Like, you know, you have a, a Gatorade fountain. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, that, I mean, what does that really have to do with anything? So I think that the, the difference, the, the point at which schools are actually going to start to separate is okay, which one of y'all is serious about sharing some of this TV revenue with the players? Like, do you want to do that? Do you want to be a part of that league? Okay, cool, we'll do that. The rest of y'all that cannot afford to do it, the Louisiana Monroe's, Mm -hmm. Southern Mississippi's, you know, some of the Sunbelt schools and Coosa schools, right? Like, they probably won't be able to do that. But I think that's really going to be the dividing line, the ones that have enough money that that they can share it and pay for, you know, the athletes that are on their team and the athletes they want to have on their team. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so I guess you know, kind of going back to TCU here. I mean, I know that you know you weren't the biggest fan of the Dykes hire. You know, when it went down. You know, I mean, like, yeah, I, I realized last year was like you mentioned, like a magic carpet ride. But I mean, like, how do you feel about get about having him as opposed to you know? I mean, I I know that you wanted him to get Dion, right? I did. I wanted them to hire Dion after that. First, I guess it would have been like a, the first full year that he had been at Jackson State. Because yeah. I thought Dion is from the DFW area. He knew TCU really well. When I was in college, I was on campus the day that Dion filmed a Nike commercial at Amon G. Carter Stadium. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. he was very familiar with that area. He's well known there. Um, I thought it would have been a really good fit. And I also thought if you're going to fire Gary Patterson, who's the best coach in program history, at least since desegregation, mm-hmm. um, then you need to take a big swing. You need to get somebody that's going to get everybody excited and really, you know, gin up some enthusiasm. And I just didn't think Sonny Dykes was that dude. And that's not necessarily an offense to him. He did an okay job at SMU, but they never played for a conference championship. Um, he's won a share of a co- one conference championship his entire in his entire career as a head coach. Um, there was a pattern where his teams kind of fell apart at the end of the year. They'd start out mm-hmm. real fast, 4-0, 5-0, and then they still managed to end up, you know, 8-4, and four, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, you know, the big piece of the Sonny Dykes um, project was that, oh, I'm going to get in Rashad Samples, you know, this, um, yeah. this, this wonderkind of a recruiter, um, you know, the son of a great Dallas area head coach, Reggie Samples. Mm-hmm. And that they, they were going to lock down recruiting and they were going to be able to bring in all these transfers, the four and five stars that maybe they didn't work out. Maybe they wanted to, you know, they were in Georgia or, or a Penn State and maybe it didn't work out and they want mm-hmm. to come home and come back to TCU. I mean, Rashad Samples didn't even stay long enough for his key card to work in Fort Worth. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now I'm looking at the recruiting like TCU's you know, inside the top 40, great. Okay, but, I mean, we played in the national championship last year. You kind of expect a little bit more of a bump, right? Yeah. Um, And so, uh, and then I just kind of look at the team. So last year, as happy as I was with it, I just said, well, we're winning a lot of one-score games. That's something that's not necessarily transferable year to year. They improved the turnover margins significantly. And I was like, you know, turnover – turnover margin is a thing that flips year to year. Like that's not really a thing that you can count on. Like maybe you don't fumble, maybe you don't give the ball away, but in in terms of creating turnovers, that's not something that really, you know, you can do year to year. 
And so, yeah, man, I just kind of knew that this was going to be a tough year. Um, you know, I, I just kind of thought that last year was a perfect setup that Gary Patterson had built the program and that they needed to change of voice. And Sonny Dykes was really good for that year. But I didn't think in terms of building and sustaining a program for a long time, I didn't think he was that dude. And uh, I think this year bears that out. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does next year. But um, I'm I'm not optimistic. And I, I still think that Dion, you know, in spite of what people think that he's done in Colorado, I still think that that is an impressive job, what he's done in Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think that if he had been at TCU, it would have been even better of a fit. And, you know, um, I just think we missed out on a real opportunity there. So, you know, we'll I mean, we'll see what Sonny does next year. But I'm looking recruiting's not great what's your plan in the portal everybody wants to get a good quarterback you know what yeah. i mean like I, yeah i mean so we're going to be competing with a lot of other schools for that what are you going to sell them on so um yeah man i'm I, you know i'm I'm well known as not being necessarily on the sunny Dyke bandwagon <laughs> uh and uh but i don't i don't think people this year people can see what i'm saying last year people didn't want to hear it this year they can see what i was talking about yeah, those those seasons when you're winning a bunch of one score games, man, like that's. I mean that's the Baylor great. games. Yeah, that was trash. I, I mean the fire drill field. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like, yeah, oh, happy one, but come on, you're right. Come yeah, on. it was it was like completely unnecessary to even run that fire drill thing. I remember thinking, like, what is he doing, man? Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, one game's in overtime. Didn't in, didn't oh, exert yeah. our will over anybody. Anyway, you don't want me to get a. a, a, a and, and I hate to say it like this: the only game that we kicked anybody's ass last year was on you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, do I do I ever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so last kind of like maybe you know finishing up, kind of like you know from the outside, what do you think about Brent Venables? So you know. I, so and we we talked about this off air before, you know. So I I, I covered OU that 2003 season, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, when I was at the Associated Press, and 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 uh, I I really like Brent. I think Brent is a good dude, solid guy, um, really really um smart defensive coach. Um, I think that he is probably the right fit for OU. Like if I if you had to replace Lincoln Riley. Um, that that's the guy that you would have wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little, it's just tough to know how it's going to go, right? Yeah. Um, because the thing is, most programs want an offensive mastermind. They want to get a guy that can get in quarterbacks and can get in a lot of talent. Like most most programs aren't building from the defense. They don't start with the defense, a defense mm-hmm. now, right? Um, and so I, it'll just be curious to see like in the post Dylan Gabriel area, era Mm -hmm. like what he will do to keep the program running but um i think right now you know brent's really solid and he's a um just a a fun like really warm guy like people Mm -hmm. are drawn to him i could see how that would work really well with recruits uh you know regionally and even nationally so I, i think ou has got a really good coach there um but i mean do i think that he's going to be as successful as bob stoops no like I mean, yeah, but, it wants to be hard, right? But, but I mean, right? But I mean, what I mean, what kind of standard is that? Bob Stoops mm-hmm. is one of the greatest coaches of the last generation, um, yeah. and I guess the issue is like, will OU be fine with that? Like, will OU fans be fine? You know that better than me, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, but, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I look at it though, and like, I just feel like, especially you look at like what USC is going through right now with Riley, yeah, and yeah. they're you starting to. I mean, you know, I. OU fans really lashed out, especially like, you know, national media figures that talked when Riley left. But like 
the thing that <clears throat> thing that people I think probably nationally don't get is like there were a lot of people who were very very unhappy with Riley that last year, mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't know. I I feel like it seems pretty obvious now. Like he was running from a mess he created. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. you can't really blame him for wanting to go to Southern California and get one hundred ten million dollars guaranteed or whatever, right? But like, I mean, you know, he, he got he got to take a generational talent at quarterback with him too, right? You know, but like, I mean, he left OU's roster in such poor shape, you know, and right. like, so you're kind of seeing him dig out of that now. It's been, it's been, I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like they're a better top to bottom football team as opposed right. to an offense. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Oh no, absolutely. And I mean, like, I, I you know, I, I saw those OU teams. I covered, I, you know, um, you know, I was at the Rose Bowl when they when they lost to Georgia. And having a team with a defense like that is frustrating, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, I mean, that's like watching people miss tackles and be out of position and blown coverages and everything. Like that is that is extremely frustrating to watch yeah. as a fan. Right. Yeah. And so I totally get why people were kind of fed up with Lincoln Riley. And and then when he left, they'd be like, well, who the hell are you? You know what I'm saying? You didn't yeah. win, you know? Um, so I, I, I totally, I totally get why OU fans would be frustrated with him and the way that he ran that program. And it's, you know, that that's coming to bear at, OU, yeah. at, at USC right now. So yeah. I think that, I think for what OU fans want in the program that they sort of ideal themselves, like, when I really think back to like OU and like what kind of sums up the culture there, I think back to that the game against Texas earlier this year where they stopped Texas inside the one yard line four mm-hmm. times. Like that's the kind of program that I think OU fans want and can really get around. And, yeah. uh, you know, and so maybe Brett Venables gives them a chance to sort of, you know, relive those days again where they were tough yeah. uh, as opposed to winning with finesse in the way that they did. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't, I, I, you know, I, I still think Lincoln Riley is a good coach. I just think he had a bad year, but I also could be proven wrong on that shit, too. Yeah, we never know, man, huh? Well, yeah. so, Joel, tell everybody, like, what, what kind of stuff you got coming up? Anything big? No, nah, man, well, you know, I'm working on a few things, a, a few writing projects. Um, I, I wish I could say more about them. Yeah, but, I got you. <laughs> uh, one of the things I'm kind of working on. But, uh, you know, I've been working on, you know, they had, uh, you know, I, one of the slow burn seasons I worked on was Big and Tupac. And so mm-hmm. this week uh, I'll have a piece about uh, the – the Puffy lawsuit, for instance, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's connected to the Tupac murder uh, in, in a way that uh, people might find interesting. So that's the stuff in that. And I was just on Hang Up and Listen. And so we had a really good uh, episode this week. So, you know, I'll be doing that in the meantime. But, uh, you know, hopefully the big projects will be up in 2024 and mm-hmm. I can talk a little bit more about it. So. So. So how long did the before I let you go, how long did the Clarence Thomas project like gestate? You know what I mean? Like, was that like oh, the kind of thing that took like a year, yeah. few years to pitch him on? Yeah. Yeah, well, it took it took me a few months to to convince them that mm-hmm. it was worth doing. Uh, which I just, in retrospect, now it's like, man, what were y'all? Why didn't y'all believe me? You know? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> no kidding. Me? Well, right. like the the timing of that could not have been more fortuitous. You know, like I mean, wild we, man. I could not have even predicted um, what the year would have been like around Clarence Thomas when I pitched it. I just thought that it would be a really good story and I was time to get to the Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. I thought that in and of itself would have been a good news peg. All the other stuff around Harlan Crow and the ProPublica mm-hmm. uh, in reports, like I could not have foreseen that. And so we really did catch a wave on that. But yeah, man, I spent, um, I guess, 
that was this year. So I spent all of the early part of this year working on that in some of the yeah. late 2022. So it's like people always say working on a narrative podcast is sort of like writing a book. Like it's basically mm-hmm. the same amount of time, except I have to perform it. Like after I've written, right. I got to talk into the mic. So um, it's it's always really hard. It's always the hardest thing that I ever do, but I'm really so grateful. Like it, it Slate gives me an opportunity to do that kind of stuff. Well, I got I got to say, man, the Clarence Thomas, I mean, the, the psychology of the whole thing was fascinating man oh, like I, I it's such a i mean you, you captured man. it so well and like i mean such a i mean such a unique kind of character in american history you know for you know for whatever it, i mean like it, it was just I, I hadn't really ever heard a character study like that before you oh. know Man, thank you for saying that, Alan. Really seriously, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, y'all go check. Y'all can still listen to this. Yeah, to the <laughs> yeah. slow part. And it's still out there. We're still hoping it's going to award season's coming up. So we hope some some good things are going to come out of it. But yeah, thank you so much for saying that, man. For real. Um, All we, right. Yeah. Big team. Like we put a lot of hard work into it. So yeah. All right. Well, it was it was fantastic. All all the slow burns have been great, man. So thanks thank a lot. You. Really, and really do appreciate you coming on to talk uh, ball with us today. Oh, man, I love OU. I love the OU fans, man. I had a good time. I lived in OKC. I lived up on the north side of Oklahoma City. You know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. OU is my joint, man. So, yeah, man, <laughs> at, at, anytime, anytime y'all want to have me on, I'd love to come up. So Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks a lot to uh, Joel Anderson of Slate. Make sure to check out everything he's doing over there and uh, be on the lookout, it sounds like, for some uh, new projects coming up from him. And thanks to you all for joining us, too. For Through the Keyhole, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy. <laughs>